This is Rumble with Michael Moore, and I'm Michael Moore. Welcome, everyone. First of all, I want to thank all of you who joined me uh, last uh, Friday night for the uh, free worldwide screening of Fahrenheit 9-11 and the Q&A afterwards and the little short subject of what happened after the film came out. And we had an amazing turnout, received wonderful feedback uh, from many of you. So thank you very much uh, for that. It was the eve of the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and it felt like a powerful moment. And uh, I loved watching the movie with you and sharing it with you. And um, and this is something now I'm, I'm going to do for my Substack members. If you are a member of my Substack, I'm going to, every month or two, do what we call Mike's Movie Night. And I will curate this. I will pick films that are just personal favorites of mine. Some of them are really unknown. Uh, some of them didn't get the distribution they deserved, uh, and people haven't seen them. I'd like to share them uh, with you. Some of them are huge uh, classics that I would love to uh, get the director or some of the stars of the film together after uh, the screening that particular night uh, and uh, have them take questions from you. So that's going to be Mike's Movie Night, a new uh, feature on my uh, Substack. And, you know, if you are already a free subscriber, of course, you get every one of these podcasts and you get every one of my essays and newsletters and any writings I do. It's all free to everybody. Uh, No paywall. But for those of you who choose to become a paid member and support the work we're doing, our next film, our next uh, series, the things that uh, we are up to here now during this pandemic, uh, we want to uh, have we have a couple little gifts for you to thank you for becoming a paid member. And one of those is uh, watching a movie with me every month or so. And also, uh, every month, I'm going to do a personal uh, Q&A with those of you who are paid members. And basically, we'll do this in sort of a Zoom sort of way. This is not going to be where I you know, take questions in advance and read from cards or whatever. This is you and I, personally, being on the screen uh, with each other uh, to have a conversation, for you to ask me any question you want to ask me, uh, to make a comment, to uh, have a discussion, whatever it is. I'm really looking forward to doing this with all of you. So sign up and be a paid member on my podcast uh, platform page, or you can do it uh, when you get uh, your next uh, Substack mailing email from me, um, five bucks a month, and you get these free gifts uh, for being a paid member. And thank all of you for being part of this in this first month. It's been very special, and I'm very grateful. Today's podcast episode will be my conversations 20 years after 9-11 and 17 years after we released Fahrenheit 9-11 in the theaters. You're going to hear on this podcast today two conversations that I had uh, surrounding uh, Friday's worldwide event. Two conversations, one with Lila Lipscomb from Flint, Michigan, the mother whose son died while serving in Iraq, and my conversation with Abdul Henderson, the former Marine Corporal who came with me bravely to Capitol Hill to stop members of Congress as we tried to recruit them or their sons or their daughters to go and fight the wars that they were enthusiastically voting for. But before we air my conversations with Lila and Abdul, I want to thank our underwriter, for this episode of Rumble, and that underwriter is True Bill. 
Thank you very much for supporting uh, this podcast and trying to save everybody some money. Truebill is the new app, you may have heard of it, that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or you've simply forgotten about them. We have all done this, right? We've subscribed to things. And if you don't check carefully, two bucks, 10 bucks, whatever it is, and it's like, whoa, I forgot. I just wanted to try that for a month. And then I was going to cancel it. And then um, I've been paying for this for the last five months. Yes, (laughs) everybody knows this feeling. So the Truebill app allows you to see all of your subscriptions in one place. So you don't have to go scrambling through your credit card bill or anything else. It's just all there in one place. And you can then keep the ones you want and easily cancel the ones you don't want. And it works, my friends. Truebill has over 2 million users and they've helped save their users over $100 million in subscriptions that I should have long been dead. So for instance, there's one user here of Truebill, name is Matthew B. I won't give his last name. But he wrote in to say that, quote, in a matter of seconds, I saved $660 for the year on my direct TV bill. I saved $120 for the year on my Sirius XM bill. And I saved $840 a year on my car insurance. So my friends, Start canceling your unused subscriptions at truebill.com slash rumble. Don't forget the slash rumble. Truebill.com slash rumble. All right. So, as I was saying, last Friday, I spoke with Lila Lipscomb, just before our Fahrenheit 9-11 screening. She's the mother from Flint, Michigan, who lost her son, Army Sergeant Michael Patterson, on April 2nd, 2003, in Iraq. Michael, who was uh, obviously also from Flint, was 26 years old, and he was killed in a Black Hawk helicopter crash in central Iraq. Lila and her family are now living in Columbus, Ohio. Let's just play a minute uh, from Fahrenheit 9-11, where we met Lila Lipscomb. The Army called me, and I remember getting on the phone and him saying, asking me, was I Lila Lipscomb? And I said, yes. And he said, mother of Sergeant Michael Pedersen. And I remember dropping the telephone. And all I can honestly say that I remember is, ma'am, the United States Army, the Secretary of Defense, regretfully informs you. That's all I know. The grief grabbed me so hard that I literally fell on the floor. And I was alone. I didn't have anybody to pick me up. So I literally crawled over to my desk and was hanging on. And I remember screaming, why does it have to be Michael? Why did you have to take my son? Why is it my son that you had to take? He didn't do anything. He wasn't a bad guy. He was a good guy. Why did you have to take my son? Lila and her family now live in Columbus, Ohio. And now, my friends, here it is. 
my one-on-one conversation with Lila Lipscomb. Hey, Lila, how you doing? Do you know what, Michael? First, can I just, I, I don't yes. know if I ever, ever got a chance to properly just warmly from my heart tell you thank you so much for giving me a platform for my grief. I know it was because of what you gifted me with that gave me the strength to continue on. And I thank you for that. Not everybody had the ability or the, the, the gift to be able to have a platform to share that grief and to receive so much love when I needed it. So I want to thank you for that. Well, that's very kind of you to say that. There's no way I probably could ever do enough uh, to remove the pain. And obviously, none of us have the, the power to bring Michael, your son, back. But I was so moved by you when I first met you while we were making the film to stand there with you in front of the White House. Yeah. To stand at the gates yeah. of, of power yeah. and to uh, speak the truth. Yeah. You know, you're a religious person and, of course, we talked about how I, when I was a teenager, I went to the seminary and, but you literally were that day. I just was thinking we have John the Baptist here. <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> calling him out. She's just calling him out and he's up there and he can see her. Yeah. He can hear her. Come on, King Herod. Come on down. <laughs> but you know what I remember so much about that day at the white house. I was so angry that there was like a trench built. Yes. The fence and the trench built. They were building I was all like, of that. Yes. He's so afraid. He has to just literally lock himself in back there. Right. I was appalled. I was appalled. It's my White House, just like it's his White House. And I couldn't get to it. It shocked me there. And that was really the beginning of, of how they were trying to, under the name of Homeland Security. Exactly. Basically, uh, make sure that the people can be kept away and, yep. and they can't be heard. Exactly. And, you know, and there's nothing anything to worry about with us. We're not like the January 6th people where we're going to well, come on now. Tell it. We're not violent people. First of all, we're there to stop the violence. Exactly. What else do you remember of that time when we were sort of back and forth and everywhere we were in Flint, we were in Washington, DC. What comes to me is Dover air force base. Mm. When we went to Dover, that was pretty intense. That was pretty intense because I was not allowed to go receive my son's casket home and to be able to go to Dover. It was as though I was able to go, even though he wasn't there. Yeah. And then to see when I walked to go up to the base and to see, I didn't realize that so many people were following me as I walked up to the base and they told me that I had to leave. And that, that hurt me to my heart knowing that my son gave his blood for this country and I was not allowed to step foot on a military base. All of that time was just uh, so emotional for me, mm -hmm. obviously for you. For mm -hmm. All I was having to do was try to you know, go around the country and try to talk to people and try to figure this out and try to present something to the, the public. But your loss, I mean, your, your son, Michael, died on uh, April 2nd, which is my mother's okay. uh, birthday, right. as you know. And he was, I think, one of the first from our area. He was to die in the war because the war had started on March what seventeenth, nineteenth, uh, yep. something like that. March nineteenth. Yep. yep. So it was very early on. Yeah. And I think most Americans really didn't know why we were there or what was happening or what was going on. And well, a lot of Americans were trying were were actually feeding into the lie that we were going after um, Bin Laden. 
Yeah. Right. In Iraq. Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. And then here we are 20 years later, finally having to come out of Afghanistan where we should have, if we truly went for bin Laden, we should have been there in the first place. Yeah. And then once bin Laden was gone, why were we still there? Thank you, what, Michael. What was the, I don't, they've never really explained that. And, and the way Bush has sort of now in, in the latter years come off as this kind of goofy grandpa-ish type, he's a painter now and he's always hugging Michelle Obama and handing her sticks of gum. Uh, I mean, I just, and once Trump was elected, everybody was like, oh, well, this makes Bush look good. And I'm thinking, no, no not really. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not, I mean, I, I'm not prone to say anything good about Trump, but I'm right. trying to remember the countries he invaded. Right. You know, I mean, this guy invaded two countries. Yep. There's a lot of blood on his hands. Yep. And, yep. and um, a lot of money in his pocket. And a lot of money in his and Cheney's and all and of them. Exactly. The ones that sit on the boards. Yep. So I've really never gotten it over it. And I, and I have this uh, sense still that justice has not prevailed when it comes no. to Bush and his crowd. No, it and hasn't. I hope that will happen in our lifetime. Me too. How do they sleep? How do they sleep at night? You know what? I, I don't know how they sleep other than just being pure ignorant. And choosing not to take accountability for their actions, because I think in their mind, they were doing what they thought they needed to do in order to pacify the ones that put them in office. Mm. And that that sickens me. That just sickens right. me with our political system. How have you dealt with that yourself now? Because it's been so Michael died in 03. So that's what is that? Uh, 18, 18 years, 18 plus years now. A lot of counseling. I worked with the Columbia University for the study of grief for families of uh, fallen soldiers. Oh. I, you know, just built a little cocoon that I stay within. And unfortunately, I mean, I'm very blessed to be where I'm at right now, but I, I stay very close to the uh, defense center in Columbus, Ohio. And I have to be very careful because when the military helicopters start flying overhead, I, I tend to get very anxious and start getting the PTSD flashbacks. So that part has been a real struggle for me. You can tell I'm still kind of dealing with that. Of course. Well, Michael died in a helicopter. Exactly. And, Absolutely. Um, and, and then to find out that his head was decapitated is, oh. it's, you know, I choose not to try to think about those when I think of my son. I choose to think of the red bird, the cardinal that comes and visits me almost daily. And they say, when a red bird visits you, it's someone from heaven checking on you. So those kind of things are what I choose to stick with. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but still I hear you and it's, you still hear the pain. Of course. I mean, I, how, the, I, you know, my grandmother lost uh, my uncle in world war two mm -hmm. uh, in the Philippines. And now I wasn't born then, but, Growing up, it was clear he was, you know, there were seven kids in that family and he was probably the favorite uh, brother of my dad's. Although I, I only saw him with his two living brothers who were also in the war and they were hilarious and great and he loved them uh -huh. deeply. But the one who died, I think it was just like, they were just a year apart or so. Wow. And um, my grandmother never got over it. She was oh. so affected by his death that when the war was over and they finally, you know, the bodies came back and whatever, they buried him in the Catholic cemetery in Flint. 
she wanted to visit the grave every day and did. And then she told her husband that she wanted to find a house that was in walking distance of the cemetery and did oh. Oh, and wow. found a house to rent just across, essentially right across the street from the cemetery mm -hmm. and went there every day. Oh my God, the grief, the, yeah. the pain of it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's part of the reason that I had to leave Flint because yeah. I too would go to the cemetery and mm -hmm. many days I would find myself standing at his grave and just screaming at the top of my lungs yeah. because I still don't understand it. 18 years in and I, I still don't understand a man's greed that he would send children to make him more money. I still don't understand it. Well, you understand that it was a man's greed. Right. Wanting to make money and would and would not send his own daughters off to war exactly. ever. Exactly. But would send your son and all the others yep. signed up. And all the others. And and they said why did they sign up? They signed up because they were willing to defend you and I. Exactly. So that we wouldn't have to give our lives. Exactly. They are willing to give their lives. Right. I can promise you when my son signed up with the military, yeah. he never gave a thought about being sent someplace to make money for somebody. Right. A place that had nothing to do with the defense nothing of Nothing to do with it. My right. son was all for getting bin Laden. Yeah. But he wasn't for invading Iraq. Yeah. What did that have to do with bin Laden? Exactly. Right. It's like, it's like Pop said that day in our house. And what is it all for? 18 years later, we're still asking, and what was it for? Your husband. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can I take a stab at answering that question? Okay. It may help. It may not help. It may make it worse. I've come to believe that Michael and the others who gave their lives, but it's personal when I think of your son, that he did not die in vain. Right. He didn't die for the reasons that Bush and Cheney and Rumsfeld were lying to us about. And he shouldn't have had to die. But I remember my grandmother telling me that we all have this cross that we have to carry. And it comes in different forms. You lose people in your family. My other grandmother lost two babies. You know, things. Life is hard. Mm -hmm. Life is hard. And it feels sometimes like a one curveball after another coming right at our heads. Right. But the fact that Michael Patterson is with me to this day after I met him through you. Mm -hmm. some 18, some years ago, the fact that, that he lives on in that way and lives mm -hmm. on in you, through mm -hmm. you, that we got to tell his story, that his story, I think, affected a lot of people. I'm sure people just watched the film for the first time tonight, yeah. has affected them. And that means he lives, mm -hmm. he lives on. Mm -hmm. He carries this message through his death. I just got it, Michael. I just got it. Part of what, there might be many reasons, but I believe now, after hearing your words, part of the reason that my son had to give his life and he was willing to do that was so that this truth could be told. Right. I believe that. I believe that very strongly. And I believe, yeah. and I, to the people who are watching this who also lost loved ones. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've gotten letters from parents this last week after Afghanistan, after the end. What did he die for? What did he die for? What did he die? And I've and I've tried to write back and 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 tell them that that answer will be delivered by us. Mm -hmm. If in his death it encouraged five people watching this, ten people, a thousand people, to get off off the sofa, get active, speak your mind, vote, protest, 
participate in this democracy. Exactly. Whatever, exactly. whatever we will complete his or her life if we all do that. And if we don't, if we remain silent, if we remain apathetic, if we so easily can say and rightfully, I just got so much going on. Please, Mike, I can't take on anything else. I please, I understand. Lila understands. Yes. <laughs> but we cannot remain still and we cannot remain silent. No. And we dishonor the dead if we do. That's how exactly. strongly I personally exactly. feel about it. But Michael, I want everybody to understand that you start where you are. Right, 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 right. With the anxiety, the PTSD symptoms, with everything that I've dealt with over the last 18 years. I have the last election. I got more young people to register to vote than I have in my entire life. And it was because they had the audacity to start bitching to me about the way the world was in America. And my first question is always, well, did you vote? Well, no, I'm not registered voter. Don't say that to me. Ask my son. I have gotten more. One girl, her mother didn't vote. Her grandparents didn't vote and her grit and she was an African-American young woman. Mm, mm. I can promise you this last election, she voted for the first time and she's now getting her family to vote. You start where you are. Stop the excuses. Just stop it. I don't I don't have any. I don't deal with excuses well and I don't deal with ignorance well. Mm, Wow. Wow. That is. Well, thank you for doing that with these young people and getting them to register to vote. But I, when this film came out, I got so many emails and things from people that saw the film that had that sentence in there. I decided to vote. I haven't voted yet. I'm going to vote now. And the, the powerful way that you convey this message, you know, I remember somebody who worked on the film saying after she, you know, we saw the final film, said, this is really, a, this is a film about about two mothers. Ultimately, if you want to boil it right down to the core of this film, the soul of this film is brought to us by the mother from Flint, Lila Lipscomb, and the Iraqi mother who has just lost her child after we bombed the civilian population there in Iraq. And she's carrying the dead child. And, you know, people know the scene in the movie and she's crying to God, why have you let these Americans do this? Why? Are you there? Yeah. You know, can you punish them for this? Can you, it's not going to bring back my child, but it's, boy, I'll tell you. And, and so I thought this was really great when she said this, because it was like that, the sort of guttural scream from the soul from that woman in Iraq and from you in Flint, Michigan is the, is the heart and soul and the glue of this film. And it, I think it, just watching it tonight again, just feel the same emotional reaction to this? Well, my 18-year-old grandson, who was actually born on my son's birthday, Amarion, he was Mm. the baby that Howard and uh, Michelle had at the time of the filming. Mm. He's getting ready to watch it for the first time. Oh, wow. Wow. He's He's been shielded from it only because we needed to make sure that he was mature enough to be able to receive what was really going in it. Because knowing what has happened to his uncle that he's born. And Michael knew that Amarion was born on his birthday prior to him dying. And he was so proud that his first nephew was born on his birthday. So 
this is going, I, I truly want him to be with me when he watches it. I, I think that was the thing that we needed to wait for. Mm. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. And and let me know what his response is. I will. Uh, I, 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 and, and how's Michael's daughter? How old would she be now? She's 24, I believe. 24. Now she just left. She she comes and spends the summer with us, and her mother, through all of it, um, actually has done such a beautiful job raising her. Mm. I have to I have to give her mother her props. She has done absolutely fabulous with Michael's daughter. Wow. She's loving. She's kind. She's still, you know, she's special needs, but. She's just an absolute joy to be with. And how's your husband doing, Pops? How's he? Uh, Pops uh, is Pops is doing fairly good. Um, he's recovering from prostate cancer. Mm, mm. He is recovering from knee surgery due to getting uh, hit by a hit and run driver. Oh, geez. So you know, life just kind of tries to kick you down, and you just get up and go. But the one thing that I I've learned is the power that grief has over your physical body. Right. And he's seventy seven now, and me just turning sixty eight. We both have, you know, surgeries, and life happens. Right. Right. Wow. Well, tell him I said hi for sure. I will. And everybody else there. And you're in Ohio now, you know, the mortal enemy of Michigan, as you yes. know. <laughs> I'm not that, very popular on game day. <laughs> no. And you're like, you live, you're near Columbus, right? So I am um, in Columbus. You are in Columbus. Oh my yes. God. Yes. Yeah. And we really do love waving our Michigan flags. <laughs> oh my God, man. You're that's a, you're a brave person doing that in Columbus, Ohio. I'll tell you. Well, just like they have a right to go for Ohio. I have a right to go for Michigan. Yeah, but you're in you're in the heart of the of the. <laughs> and when have I shied away, Michael? <laughs> I know. Right? I was just going to say, why am I even saying that? <laughs> it's a challenge to me. I think that's probably why we do it. Do you ever get back up to Flint? Yes, we do. We do. And yeah, I wanted. I tried this year, but we didn't get a chance to make it because I I try to go up and visit the Michigan-owned military museum in Frankenmuth because you know that's where Michael's display is. But we didn't get up there this year, so. Right, right. Well, anybody in Michigan, if you're in Michigan or you visit Michigan, uh, Frankenmuth, everybody in Michigan knows what Frankenmuth is because it's yep. where you go to get a chicken dinner. Yep. <laughs> but they have this uh, this Michigan uh, Military Museum where they honor those uh, from Michigan who've served and who've yep. given their lives and, and all of that. So I have not seen it yet, but I definitely will be there because somebody's always dragging me to go there to get a chicken dinner. So yeah. I, will, I will be in Frankenmuth and check well, that out. Labor Day, they close Labor Day for the rest of the season until Memorial Weekend. Right. So for those who don't understand what that meant, um, it it uh, starts uh, it starts snowing just after Labor Day in Michigan. Mm -hmm. And um, usually right around Memorial Day is when the snow ends. So yep. <laughs> we, get, we get like three months of, uh, yep. of sunny weather. Yeah. Um, but our friends and our family in Flint, man, what they've had to suffer through uh, these years. Yeah. It's really, really something. Um, how, are you, how are you feeling about President Biden? What's your what's your take on, on how he's so doing? So far, I, I am so pleased. I am yeah. so pleased. Yeah. I am so pleased. I am so thankful that he just 
took everybody out of Afghanistan. Wow. I am so thankful that he just ripped the band. There was no good way to do it. Right. And he had to do it. And I'm, I stand with him a hundred percent on that. Yeah. And I'm so thankful that he's stepping up and doing everything he's doing for this COVID stuff. Oh, I know. I'm so thankful. And I love, 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 love that he's so into the military to take care of them and to make sure everything goes good with them. Right. And you know, he means it. It's not yes. that fake politician thing, you know, Right. <laughs> it's like, you, you know, the impact that his son and his son's death had on him Yep. and the way he went to Dover there yep. last week and stood there Yep. and Bush not only didn't go there, he would allow no cameras. He would allow yep. no family. Yep. He wanted to try to sweep it under the rug. A lot of people didn't realize that because my son was killed so early on, those of us that lost our children early on really paved the way for the other families to be able to go to Dover and receive their children coming home. Yeah. Hey, can I tell you, it's just something I, um, when we showed Fahrenheit 9-11 in the Cannes Film Festival, we'd already come back home to the United States, uh, you know, halfway through the festival. Mm -hmm. We'd shown the film a couple of times and that was that. And I got a call the day before the award ceremony to say, you need to fly back to France. I said, oh, you're kidding me. Why? Well, uh, the jury is indicating that they might give you some kind of an award. And so I said, well, should we, should we go? Yeah, okay. Um, so we got back on a plane, <laughs> went, went back there, and uh, we're there at the awards ceremony. And we are completely shocked by Quentin Tarantino uh, announcing and Charlie's Throne holding up the award uh, that the top prize would, was going to go to Fahrenheit 9-11. And we were like, I go up there, I take the award from him and her. And afterwards, after the ceremony was over, he comes up to me and he said, I want you to know on a personal level, this film really, really affected me deeply. And he mentioned you, and a couple of other people in the film. He was so crushed and angry and everything. And he, and he said to me, and I know it's okay to, reveal this publicly because um, I had asked him a couple years ago if I could. Um, he said to me, I've never voted in my life. In fact, I've never registered to vote. This is at that time, he's um, late thirties, early forties. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he said, but this film and the people in this film, first thing I'm doing when I get back to LA, I'm registering to vote and I'm going to vote. And, and then when the election time came, he sent me a thing that um, he was very happy and proud to that, that what you just said in terms of how you got these young people to vote, it's made me think a lot about the power of art, whether it's film or anything where those who can do this communicate to their fellow citizens. Yes. Whether it's a book, whether it's a play, whether it's a, maybe it's a painting, maybe it's a whole bunch of great photographs maybe it's a podcast maybe it's a podcast yes yes i know i'm 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 trying to fit them all in <laughs> ice capades i haven't done that yet i've not skated in ice capades um or disney on ice so i'll put that on the bucket list but no lila what i'm saying here is that we don't know sometimes the impact and the effect yeah. nope. that we have in what we do 
And sometimes it's even in the smallest things, smallest ways. You don't have to be Quentin Tarantino or Michael Moore or whatever. If, right. you, if you just did this in your neighborhood, if you just did this in your apartment building, right. just appoint yourself the, the block captain yep. of just one street. Start where you are. Yes. Just start where you're at. You don't have to think you got to change the world. If you change the world on your street and, and if a thousand or a hundred thousand do that, boom. Right. We're going to live in a better country, a better world. Because one is going to touch one. That one is going to touch two. Yeah. It's the domino. Lila, um, before we close, um, I just I want to just kind of turn it over to you to speak to these thousands and thousands. And I don't know. I haven't checked the counter yet. But, you know, <laughs> this will be seen by hundreds of thousands of people. Let me just put it like that. Uh, if it hasn't been already, it will. The film itself back in the day when it was released was seen by millions, but you have the floor now, uh, the camera and the microphone to say whatever you'd like to say to all of those who are watching right now, who have seen you and, and heard your voice. And I know who are very moved by what they saw in the film, but here we now are now in 2021. Yeah. And here you are the, the 2021 Lila. Yeah. Great granny. <laughs> and a great, and a great grandma. <laughs> Yeah, Which I'm is only, the greatest gift. <laughs> I'm only at the grandparent stage right now. Uh, yeah. Um, first, I just, I want to, I want to just relay how grateful I am because of being chosen to be a part of the, the movie. It gave me the platform, but it also gave me the opportunity to touch other lives. And it gave me the lesson of learning to accept love. Mm. Because it at times it became very overwhelming, but the love that was given to me by people that I didn't know, but that the story had touched, strengthened me and kept me going day after day after day. And even today, I still get reached from across the world. People get in touch with me through Facebook and things. I had an actress in L.A. not long after the documentary came out that... I actually went to LA and, and gave her points because she was playing a, a mother that had lost a son in war in a play in LA. Oh, wow. So being able to be used in those avenues is, is really a gift that you've given me to be able to go forward and to be able to use my voice to get others to vote because I, I get so tired of hearing people say, well, my vote doesn't count anyways. Yes. It does. And it's clear that it does through the last election. But now yeah. what we need to do is start looking at the things that they keep shoving in all these bills that they're trying to pass. Because people don't understand that, yes, this might be a bill on abortion, but what other things are going through the lines with it? And keeping people afraid gives them the power. Mm. Keeping people held back gives them the power but when you use your voice to speak out you take their power away from them and you stand right. in your own power don't let people silence you i tell my kids all the time if you don't have the answer to the question somebody does i had to go to the white house through michael moore to get the answers to my questions and i was able to teach my family don't stop if you're not satisfied with the information that you're given they can't speak, they can't keep it silent. They might be able to black out the lines and not tell you everything, 
but eventually somebody's going to have to step up and tell you what real what you really need to know. But you have to find the courage within, and you right. have to start where you are. And I just want to encourage everybody that as you go through your day, pay it forward, smile at somebody because you don't know what they're going through. That's right. I, I smile at people and there might be little kids after school trying to buy a snack and don't have enough money. Buy it for them. What harm mm. is that to you? You mm. have to pay it forward. And if you get sick and tired of all the negativity surrounding you, you have to break it and you have to turn the light on and you have to surround yourself with the light and the peace of the fireplace. <laughs> you just, you have to find peace within. And in order to find peace and strength from within, you have to step out of yourself. And you gave me that opportunity. Well, thank you for saying that. But I, sometimes I wonder, sometimes you don't have a choice. What brought us to your living room in Flint that night? You know, we, we were given a list by that time. There had been uh, a number of uh, people in the Flint area given their lives mm -hmm. in Iraq. Mm -hmm. Afghanistan. And we we came to you first, actually. Mm -hmm. And when we left, well, first of all, we knew we didn't need to really go speak with anyone else because it, I think it, it really took us a while to recover from meeting you, your family. We felt like when we left, we, we knew who Michael was. Those of us on my crew who grew up in Flint, mm -hmm. Flint area. So in that way, as a, as a fellow uh, Flintstone, uh, we knew Michael, mm -hmm. we knew, and um, thank you for giving me, I guess, the privilege of being able to carry your voice forward, yeah, and to and to have millions hear it. I, I I've got to believe it's done some good. It has, and it, yes, I believe it. Well, and you've encountered people who've told you that and what it yep. and what it what it did. Yeah. So, but Michael, what you gave our family is that our son will never die. That's right. Because 500 years from now, somebody's going to click on a link. Yes. And there our son is going to be. I love you, Michael. I'm so thankful for you in our life. Oh, man. Um, I will, uh, you know, one of my best friends lives in Columbus, Ohio. So yeah. I, when I'm through there next, we will get together, catch up. And thank you for the good words that you've given people here tonight. And just keep on doing what you're doing, Lila. It's, yeah. it's important. You too. You too. And be safe, Michael. Please be safe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, don't worry about anything <laughs> he said just before it happened. Um, <laughs> no, but, and thank you for that, what you've got on that screen behind you. Before we were live here, uh, yeah. I said, <laughs> you said, you put that on there. It's a fire on a beach. Yep. I said, and, and she said, it's for you. I said, nobody thinks of me on a beach <laughs> with a fire. And you said, it's, it's to help relax yes and create peace yeah and uh and then i instantly relaxed and felt so great that you were here tonight <laughs> you turn the light on michael you stay in the light stay in the light yeah wow and still i rise yes that's right everybody hear that yes please yep. everybody yep. think that yep all of us do that we're going to be in pretty good shape and so. just smile just smile at somebody. <laughs> yes. Well, I've always been a big believer that humor is maybe the best medicine. Yes. To be able to laugh, to have a sense of humor. You know, that's one thing I didn't tell you. That in the very beginning is how we actually survived 
the news of our of Michael dying was mm. Tyler Perry. His play, right? Medea. Yes. Lord and I put it on. Literally had to pause it. We fell off the bed laughing so hard that we both wet ourselves. Oh my God. And um, I had the opportunity when Tyler was in Flint to meet him. He brought me backstage and oh. met my daughter, Lori as well. And that was, that was before the movie actually. Wow. No, I think it was after it came out when we finally yeah. got to meet Tyler, but he is such a jewel and oh, yeah. he's, no, such he's a good person. special to me. And he came like to Flint. Flint. Yes. All of that. Yes. Wow. Yes. I did not know that story. And, uh, but it's the truth. Watch a laughter. funny movie, laughter, whatever can, can it, it's a healing power. And, yes. um, and even just like you said, just that smile on your face, uh, can sometimes turn that day around. Yes. So I'm a big believer in that and, and being raised in this Irish, uh, Catholic family, uh, humor, humor was very important. And yes. I used to I used to say to people, uh, they say, "Well, you know, you don't drink." I said, "Yeah, I'm somewhere because I'm supposed to drink because I'm Irish." But I said, "No, I I know that that it's either their choice is either laughter or or drinking, and I chose laughter." But anytime I say that about anybody who's Irish, they're going, "Dude, we do both. <laughs> we, you can do both. It's okay. Have a drink. Have a pint on me." And keep laughing. <laughs> so anyways, all right. Absolutely. Gotta, I love you, babe. We've got to go. Okay. So thank you, Lila, for joining us. Uh, much love to you and much your family. Much love to you too. Yes. Thanks. We'll see you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Wow. It was um, really great to hear Lila's voice and the strength in her after all these years of all this loss, this grief. It's very powerful. We got thousands of emails on Friday night and on Saturday morning of people wanting to share their love and strength with Lila. And we also received thousands of emails over the weekend, the first part of the week here, from people who loved hearing from former Marine Corporal Abdul Henderson, who appeared in my film, Fahrenheit 9-11. Here is my conversation with Abdul. He was a corporal in the United States Marine Corps. He served in Iraq in 2003. And one of our producers of this film, Nikki Lazar, was looking for people and covering a, a uh, panel of military families speak out against the war that had members of Congress there, Congressman John Conyers from Detroit, Maxine Waters from LA, and Diane Watson from LA. So uh, that's two LA and one Detroit on the panel if you're keeping score uh, at home. But uh, he gave a, sort of an impassioned speech, talk, comment there. And uh, Nikki went over and talked to him and then um, came back. And we thought we would ask Abdul if he would like to be in, in the film. And so uh, we talked to him, we interviewed him on camera. We did a lot of shooting around Capitol Hill. And then I asked him, I was going to ask members of Congress as they went in and out of their congressional buildings, if they would be willing to send their son or daughter to Iraq and, um, and see what they would, would say. And I asked Abdul if he would do this with me. And so I'd like to bring him on uh, right now. Are you retired or do we say former, former corporal, former Marine, former Marine, former Marine, 
Mr. Abdul Henderson. Abdul, thanks so much for being with us tonight. No, no problem. It's uh, good to see you again, Michael. So why don't we talk about the story of that day where I asked you if you would join me in this search for a member of Congress or a senator who would be willing to have their kid in Iraq. Because I'd read somewhere prior to that that there was only one senator and no members of Congress who had an offspring, a daughter or a son, in Iraq, except for one. There was one Democrat, and that was it. So I asked you if you wanted to join me, and and then I thought immediately, oh, geez, I don't want to get you in trouble because, you know, you're, you're, you're first of all, you're, you're still in the Marines. You are doing this with me. That's a court-martialable <laughs> offense right there if there ever was one. And, and you were doing it, you had your uniform on. Yeah. And I thought, you know, my dad was a Marine, so I, I kind of know the rules. And I, I thought, oh, this is really going to get you in trouble. Just walk me back to that, to that moment there where we were discussing this before we decided whether or not we should uh, risk your entire career. Yeah, no, when uh, I remember we, we had the conversation about wearing my uniform, I was just like, hmm, let me, let me think about that one. <laughs> Right. So you were worried about it. I, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I knew legitimately, that. Legitimately. Legitimately. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it was, that was going to be uh, uh, life-changing because, you know, I had to make the decision that that was virtually going to end my my military career, right? Right, right. Future advancement. And you thought about maybe you would stay in uh, the Marines or? Originally, I wanted to. Um, I wanted to be a yeah. pilot. I had oh, wow. yeah. been doing 20 years, but after Iraq, my whole disposition changed. Um, I just, you know, they called Iraq the sandbox and I didn't want to play in the sandbox anymore. I remember when we were talking there before we started uh, approaching members of Congress, I asked you, you know, if called because you're still in the Marines, would you go back after everything you'd seen in Iraq? And you said uh, no. If you get called up, you go back to Iraq? No. You're not? No. What, what repercussions do you face uh, if it's you don't? possible jail time. That's one possible thing. Are you willing to risk that? Yes. Yes, I, I will not let my, my person, I will, I will not let anyone send me back over there to kill other poor people, especially when they pose no threat to me and my country. I won't do it. And then I remember stopping and saying, do you want to, do you want to say that on camera? Um, and you thought about it and you said, yes, I do. Cause it's the truth. I'm not going to go back and participate. And, and you had already, I think told us too about how you felt about what you saw there in Iraq. So I said, okay, well then, I guess worrying about wearing your uniform is not your biggest concern now. <laughs> you are just, you're going to say publicly that you are going to disobey an order if you have an order to go back and do whatever we were doing in Iraq. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I wasn't going to go back. You know, interesting enough, uh, I hadn't decided that until in that moment, right? Uh, I had had you had not decided until that moment. Yeah, it wasn't until wow. then. I hadn't thought about it. Like I knew it was potentially going to get me in trouble, but I had not thought about it. But I knew how I felt, and so when you when you asked me, 
it was really simple for me at that point. I was like, nah, I'm not going back. Like it's, mm. it's right. not worth it. And, you know, you explained a little bit in the film, but for the people watching here right now, the reason that you were not going to go back and participate in what you felt was this immoral, illegal war. I mean, just explain how you got to that, that position. Yeah. It's just from what I saw is that Iraq posed no immediate threat to America. What we were told was all false. And this, this dangerous imminent threat that had weapons of mass destruction and had the capability of launching attacks on Americans was, wasn't real. Like that country had no defenses. We ran through there with relative ease. And for my unit in, in, uh, in the beginning of the conflict, uh, you know, we secured the oil fields. That was our first objective was to go into the right. oil fields. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, we have a concept as Americans that the Middle East has a lot of oil. But when you get on the ground, you actually see it. You're like, oh, my God, the stuff comes up out of the ground. Like it, it's on its own. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like just lakes of oil. And it's just it's like, wow. So, you know, you kind of get the gist of what this war was about. Um, and, you know, I just didn't want to have any part of having to kill any more, you know, people that didn't pose a threat to my country. Uh, because they clearly didn't. Yeah. There's that famous quote from Muhammad Ali when they tried to draft him and he refused to go to Vietnam. And, and, and he made that famous statement about, you know, no, no Vietnamese ever called me the N word. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't have a fight with them. They're not a threat to me. So, but I'm, I was actually thinking of his statement when you said that on camera and I thought, geez, you know, Muhammad Ali was like a really famous and beloved person by, you know, at least half the country. And he, I mean, they essentially, they arrested him, they they booked him, and his case went all the way to the Supreme Court. You know, so if Muhammad Ali had to go through that, I could only imagine what they were going to do to you. Because, um, you know, we were living in, we've always been living in these times, though. And I, I keep saying, I think right now what we're going through, and I think, geez, I think we've been through this before. Yeah. You know, so, but okay. So anyway, so then you agreed to uh, be a, a recruiter with me there <laughs> yeah. with the members of Congress. And uh, get, uh, tell me what you remember about that scene. Cause we were there for a good hour or two. Yeah. You only see a, kind of a bit of it in the film, but, but I'm just, I'm curious how you were maintaining through that and what, what was, how you were processing this. Cause these were like really powerful, I think men, mostly all men yeah. uh, that we were uh, accosting nonviolently. But um, just tell me just what I, I've never asked you this, just what, what was going through your head and, and were you thinking of, of maybe adding something else to the scene? <laughs> I was thinking like, man, this is crazy. I'm going to get my ass in some serious trouble. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Why did I let this guy talk me into this? Nah, but no, nah, it, uh, it was it was interesting. You know, I, I found it interesting that only uh, a few members of Congress would engage. Uh, most of At them all, yeah, run away. Uh, but that's you know, 
That's, they ran, didn't they? Some of them ran. Yeah, uh, I think it was uh, Congressman Doolittle at the time. He, he That's right. ran away. <laughs> and then we start after him. But then I'm thinking, why is he running? He could he could literally escape me just through a casual walk. Well, I mean, I every American at some point in their life should be able to have the experience of a of a congressman seeing them and running from them. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a great shared American experience? But uh, yeah, do you remember any of the others or their uh, their response to us? One gentleman, I think he had served in the Navy. I don't remember his name. He actually stopped and and, and chatted with us. And uh, I think he shared some some similar sentiment in terms of that other members of Congress need to have some skin in the game. You know, why not their children be on the front lines for these 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 wars? Um, you know, why don't they have that shared sacrifice like many of us uh, other Americans that volunteer? Right. Right. Either some of them didn't get the point or they really got the point and wanted nothing to do with this. Um, there were a couple that were friendly, uh, if I remember correctly, though. I think we saw that just one, one of them, maybe just their, I just thought, well, you know, they're politicians. There's a red light on the camera. It's very um, seductive to them because they are always looking for the red light <laughs> to be on camera, to be on TV. Um, but at the end of the day, it was really kind of a, kind of a real kind of, at some point it wasn't funny anymore. And it was just kind of a kick in the gut, wasn't it? Just like. Yeah, of course, send everybody else's kid, but no, no way, not yours, right? Right. So since then, how have you been doing? I mean, uh, obviously you left the Marines. Did did you get in any trouble? Uh, they did investigate me. Uh, I think they truly wanted to court-martial me and throw me under uh, the prison, but uh, none of that happened. Uh, I ended up having to go back to my unit, and uh, I kind of just um, just floated kind of under the radar as much as possible until my time ran out. So fortunately, uh, nothing happened. I, I, I did my time. I was honorably discharged and I, I went on with my life. Mm, wow. Well, that's, that's good. I know we offered you we, before we left there that day that we will get you an attorney and pay for it if there's you know any trouble. So maybe when the film came out too, it, it, they probably, maybe they thought, you know what? This is going to be more trouble that we need if we go after uh, yeah. this this young guy. You know, let's just let's just hope nobody sees the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. When I when I, I had conversations with my command staff at the time, once the movie came out, and I was just like, "Yeah, I won't be doing anything in uniform again." Uh, right. That was kind of the. I was just like, but that's not going to prevent me from speaking out as a, you know, as an American. Uh, I just won't be representing the Marine Corps in uniform because as an American, right. I have a right to, to uh, I express my uh, my opinion. I do have the right to free speech. Right. When we had the premiere there, uh, the Washington, D.C. premiere, there were a number of members of Congress and senators mm -hmm. uh, that came uh, to that screening. And more than once, you know, pulled me aside and said, if that young Marine needs any help, just let us know. And uh, I said, no, I, I will. But so you got out of the Marines and uh, what's your life been like since then? I, I've I met you and we've run across each other numerous times in past years. Uh, in fact, uh, you were working for a member of Congress at one point. You 
weren't you like the the person that was like the uh, the civilian person that that sort of helped run the Congressional Black Caucus? Am I right in mm -hmm. remembering that? Yeah, yeah. So the first representative, I worked for Diane Watson. Mm -hmm. I ultimately became her chief of staff, and then mm -hmm. she retired. And then I worked for Karen Bass, who replaced her for a very short period. Right. And I actually went on to um, work at the Department of Veterans Affairs, where I read wow. I led the department's international engagement, uh, working with uh, our, our our allies, mainly Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the United Kingdom. Um, actually, did some really good work in in helping uh, uh, veterans in that space. Did that for a few years, and then. I went back to Capitol Hill as the executive director of the Congressional Black Caucus. And wow. Okay. Already, this is better than being a movie star. <laughs> Everything you just said is so, it makes a far greater contribution to our society. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. So that's right. I remembered that and I thought, damn, Abdul's done well. Uh, but we sort of knew that about you anyways, that, that day there in DC, you were a very special person and had guts and the courage to do this, to do this on camera, all of that. So how's life been since uh, being the executive director of the Congressional Black, Black Caucus? Well, it's, uh, it's been interesting. Uh, just kind of watch this transition that our country's going to, because uh, I left after two years into that. So as the, as the, as the Trump train pulled in, I moved out. And so I moved <laughs> down to Georgia uh, to be closer to my sons because they're in high school. My oldest son, Alex, is now a senior in high school. So we're getting ready for him to go right. to college. Uh, my youngest son, he's in the 10th grade and doing well. So I came to Georgia to be closer to them. Um, I was here for a couple of years and then left to San Francisco. And then I ended up working uh with Tom Steyer and I was his deputy campaign manager for his presidential campaign in 2020. Wow. Yeah. So a lot's been going on, but no, now I'm back in Georgia. Uh, I'm running a, a, a mental health nonprofit called mental health America of Georgia. Mm. And uh, we're trying to get Georgia from being last place in terms of access to mental health care and making sure that they enforce the parity law to make sure that, insurance is going to cover mental health and substance abuse care that people that are paying for insurance, you know, expect. So, right. I know we have to get to that place where when we talk about healthcare, we're not just talking about medical right. care. We're, we're talking about mental and dental or mental dental is what I would put on my bumper sticker if I was running for anything. <laughs> um, but no, we need all of this because it's all connected. And I'm, God, I'm so glad to know that you're doing this there in Georgia. That's such important work, Abdul. And everybody knows that now. I, I just, I hope Biden knows, knows it because uh, when they're ready to push forward on the, uh, you know, getting universal health care for everyone, um, you know, that's got to be part of it. Yeah, I, I hope so too. Uh, we have a long way to go. This uh, this pandemic has definitely um, showed some some huge fissures in, yeah. in the system, and uh, unfortunately, we weren't prepared to deal with it, and we're suffering from the consequences of not being prepared. Right. Uh, how how have you and your family been with COVID? Um, is everybody okay? Uh, everybody's fine. Uh, interesting enough. Um, 
everyone had got COVID at some point, but me, uh, me and wow. Paul Nate, Nate, who is now deceased. He, uh, he, he had passed away from, um, uh, Parkinson's dementia related stuff. Mm. Not COVID. I'm sorry. Uh, but everybody's fine. We're, we're all vaccinated. We're just taking measures to, to stay safe and right. maintain right. a good balance. <laughs> right. Um, well, we all have to get through this because we have a lot of work to do. So is there anything you'd like to say just to give you the, the final word here to uh, just speak directly to all these people who are very concerned about, I think, a lot of the things that are going on right now and, and uh, uh, the various fights ahead of us and uh, th those who want to stop uh, President Biden from enacting the things he's trying to do. I'm just curious what your take would be and what you'd like to just uh, just open up the floor to you and speak directly uh, to all the people out there. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, one, I would just like to thank everybody who supported me through a uh, very uh, difficult time and, and, and going through that process. Cause at the time when the film did come out, <laughs> everyone, 90% of everybody was in support of uh, the war on terror. Right. Right. And, yeah. um, and so for those who supported me uh, through that and taking that stance, I, I really do uh, appreciate and, and, and love you all. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, as I think about the last 20 plus years of, of what's been going on in the U.S., um, I think we have to do a little bit better in holding people accountable, right? We still have an issue of accountability in this country. We've, we've allowed elected officials to, to go on to just do status quo when the American people are clearly moving in a different direction. Our, our country is a lot more diverse, um, but we, we, we still see tremendous lacks, lack of diversity uh, and equity. Um, you know, we just, people need to stay involved in civic engagement. Uh, our, that is the bedrock and foundation of our republic. And in order to maintain that, one, we have to be engaged. One, we must demand and seek the truth. Uh, and we have to stay informed. Uh, we can't just re-clickbait and decide that it's fact. We have to go a little bit deeper than that. And we need to question that question what people tell us. You know, there's there's ways to do it with, with civil discourse. We don't have to hate one another. We can do it where we can agree to disagree, but you know we, we we have to challenge the system to do better because if we continue at this rate, um, I feel that we we could soon just you know end up in a, a north or south or east or west uh, situation. It's it's we're coming at a, a serious crossroads right now. Uh, but the good thing is is um, I always believe I'm very hopeful uh, in people. There are a lot of great people that are doing a lot of great things. And uh, I, I, you know, I will continue to, to you know, work with you, Michael, and, and, and others that are promoting fairness and justice for everybody. And uh, I, I've been committed to that fight 
even before we met. And that's, you know, I'm committed to that in, as a, a middle-aged adult now. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's uh, not time to retire from that. Not yet. No, not yet. So, all of us have that responsibility. Well, thank you for those good words uh, to people out there who are watching this right now. And uh, thank you so much for being in my film. Thank you for taking that risk. I was grateful then. I'm grateful now. And watching this uh, this film uh, now all these years later, yeah, uh, so proud to have been able to stand there beside you yeah. and uh, uh, disrupt that that particular day for a certain number of members of Congress. So yeah. thank you. And, and I, I really appreciate you. You know, some of the time that we, we even spent even doing uh, the 04 election cycle. Uh, yes. Going around in the battleground states. And that was great. That was that was that was great. So I, I, I appreciate the work that you and your team does um, to keep people uh, engaged. And it's it's I've, it's been one of the proudest moments in my life to stand by you in, wow. in that fight. Back at you on that one. Thank you so much. And uh, let's make sure we um, stay in good touch and uh, let me know if I can help down there in Georgia. We all are thinking about Georgia uh, for the last year. Grateful to the people of Georgia for saving us uh, <laughs> there. Uh, not quite completely saved yet, but man, it would have been much worse uh, without those uh, two senators uh, being elected. So um, man, something is rocking there in Georgia. Uh, I'm glad you're part of it. So, uh, be well and, uh, take care, Abdul. And, uh, let's, uh, let's talk soon. Yes. Good seeing you. Wow. So, so great to hear from Abdul. And by the way, you can watch both of these conversations with video with both Lila and Abdul on YouTube. And we'll have the link for it right here on the uh, podcast uh, description page. You can also watch Fahrenheit 9-11 on YouTube uh, and links again will be here in uh, the description. We decided there were so many people that couldn't watch it Friday night for various reasons, especially if they lived in Europe. It was three in the morning. So I promised you that we would find a way so that you too could watch a free version of Fahrenheit 9-11. Uh, and now you can do that at your leisure uh, just by going to the link here on the description page for this podcast. Thanks to all of you who have become paid members to our Substack in the past few days. I encourage you to sign up if you can so that you can participate in my first live Q&A, which will be coming up next week. Uh, also participate in my next Mike's Movie Night um, and other great upcoming events. Uh, so please sign up for a paid membership if you can. And if you can't, no problem, because everything I post on Substack, whether it's my newsletter, my letter, my essay, this podcast, it's all free and it'll always be free. So if you're signed up, you're in. This is I'm only asking those who can and want to be uh, supporters, sort of our co-producers of our next work, be it film or streaming series or whatever we're going to be doing here in the coming year, be part of it. We welcome you. We need you. And we'll have fun together doing uh, the ruckus that we're going to uh, create. So everybody, thank you so much for participating in 
today's uh, podcast, Rumble with Michael Moore. My thanks to our executive producer, Basil Hamden, our editor and sound engineer, Nick Quaz, our researcher, Harrison Malkin, our jack-of-all-trades, Donald Bornstein. My friends, thank you for tuning into this. Rumble with Michael Moore. I'll be back uh, with next week's podcast. There's a lot going on. Become a paid member by Friday midnight if you can. That would be super cool. And you could be a founding member by doing that. So thank you for that. Thank you for all the work that you're doing out there. Every week, man, it's something, isn't it? And we had a victory this week in California. Very cool. More victories. More work. More of the fight. So that we can protect and preserve our democracy. Thank you, my friends. Uh, Be well and uh, enjoy the weekend. 